0: Hello there, it's Chappie, the British butler, and it's Keep Common Cauliflower Cheese, episode number 73. And it's uh, glorious to have you here on a Sunday. I know for you Saturday people, you're expecting uh, the uh, Saturday podcast to be published. Um, But you know, sometimes the weekend does get in the way, even for a butler, you know. I have to sometimes put my ironing to one side. I have to put the starching and the cleaning of brass to another day. Uh, no polishing of the silver. Uh, no creases in my trousers. I mean, it, these things do need to be put to another day. Uh, you know, weekends do get away from us. But it's lovely to be here. Um, I'm actually being propped up by a uh, honey suck stick. Or let me say that again: a honey suck stick. Try to try to say that after a couple of glimmeranges in the morning. But my vo- I need something to lubricate my voice because, very kindly, my lovely daughter did give me a nasty little cold. So I'm, I'm sounding a little bit like Barry White here, Barry White saved my life, Barry White. Um, so my, my voice may go at any moment. So I do have a very, very capable understudy uh, who I'll wheel in if necessary. Um, I mean, I guess we could get Percy Grower. He could come and do a podcast, a whole podcast of Percy. Growing and showing and weeding and uh, tending to his allotment, pruning his roses, uh, you know, massaging the cucumbers, because that's how you get them to be the size they are. It just takes a little bit of gentle massaging, and you can have a rather large cucumber. I mean, George hated the uh, idea of cucumber massaging, that's why she barks, so no need to worry, folks. Uh, I'm here for another podcast, um, and uh, we're hitting 73, so we're getting up there, you know. This is quite a good effort of work, 73 podcasts, all of them nonsensical, all of them uh, slightly eccentric, and a dash of tomfoolery, and a dash of buffoonery, uh, just thrown in there, I believe. So some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today... Um, is I found my perfect dance move. Now I'm not really—you uh, wouldn't call me uh, a sort of ballerina. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, not a Wayne Sleep on the dance floor. Now there's a reference to the kids. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of top body, not a lot of lower body going on when I dance, without a doubt. Um, also, my uh, when I blow my <clears throat> when I blow my nose, excuse me, it, it sounds like a trumpet. You know, it sounds like a brass section of any band. Um, So I have found some people um, who basically have, we we have the nose orchestra today uh, on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Um, Some of the other things that we uh, will be discussing today as well um, is, uh, I, I did get my daughters into tea. We talked about that the other day, or my older daughter into tea. Um, we never talked about the old-fashioned common cold remedies, which I think I need right about now, without a doubt. Uh, also, why do Americans... Uh, why are they not happy about the whole baked potato, jack potato, and the toppings that the British like to put on them? High self-esteem breeds laziness and failure. We've got the cereal stowaway Marilyn Hartman has her wing clipped. Uh, million-year-old proves Greenland's ice sheet at risk of sudden melting. Uh... Marina O'Loughlin, uh, the Times food critic, talked about her love of the duck, and I absolutely love a piece of crispy roast duck too. If you're proud of your heritage, then milk it. Uh, inside Le Chandelle, the most notorious sex club in Paris, um, how Boney's not so great escape hit the rocks, um, and um, Regan, Greg's vegan sausage rolls. Um, I mean, I know we talked about this before. I do like the vegan sausage roll. We have some trump or trombone. We have some enigmatic English eccentric habits. And maybe we will have a little bit of historical tender. So a fun-packed show today. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. So let's get right into it. I need seven old-fashioned cold remedies at the moment. The remedies for the common cold, basically. This is what I need to get me through the podcast today. With no cure for the common cold, sniffing, wheezing, aching patients often rely on home remedy to soothe their symptoms. And according to the Mayo Clinic, increased rest, plenty of fluids, and a humidifier really can get you back on your feet. But alcohol, opium, and leeches, no thank you. So here are seven old-timey classics here for um, curing the common cold, or helping you through it anyway. We've got rum, linseed, raisin, and licorice uh, decoction uh, containing 2,000 recipes, a house Keeping tips and home remedies, the book of household management by journalist Isabella Mary Beaton was an immediate success when it was published in 1861. A century and a half later, her advice raises a few eyebrows. Take, for instance, the elixir she promised will cure your cold in under a week. Put a large teacupful of linseed oil with a quarter pound of sun raisins, two ounces of stick of licorice into two quarts of soft water and let it simmer over the fire to reduce to one quart of pounded sugar candy, a tablespoon of old rum, and a tablespoon of the best white wine vinegar or lemon juice. The rum vinegar should be added to the uh, concoction as it's taken. Uh, If they are put in first, the whole soon becomes a little flat and less evacious. The dose is half a pint, made warm and going to bed, and a little may be taken whenever the cough is troublesome. The worst cold is generally cured by this remedy in two to three days and if taken in time is considered infallible and then we have a flannel chest compress Um, so Beaton suggested anybody suffering from a chesty cold skip the uh, concoction and uh, go for a compress instead so this is where we have a flannel dipped in boiling water and sprinkled in turpentine laid on the chest as quickly as possible and relieve the most severe cold or hoarseness Sounds a bit odd, but since modern chest rubs contain uh, turpentine alongside uh like camper oil and menthol, it's in- not entirely without merit, to say the least here. So, you know, there we go. We have, uh, we have the compress, um, and then we have uh, we have also uh, the rather lovely rum, linseed, raisin, licorice uh, detoxion. Um, and then we have number three. John Wesley is better known for his religious works, but with his opium tincture, uh, he also uh, dabbled in a little bit of medicine and wrote a book of medicine as well. Uh, so in, the, in his book, it's uh, the primitive physic or an easy and natural way of curing most diseases. He offers a recipe for cold medicine that calls for an oily emulsion. It's ingredients, six ounces of salt water, two drams of volatile aromatic spirit, an ounce of Florence oil and half an ounce of sugar syrup. He notes that the mixture worked better if the volatile spirit is replaced with the uh, paradisiac elixir of the Edinburgh dispensary, uh, and it probably would because that elixir is uh, essentially a mixture of camphor and opium. And number four, the juniper smoke. In uh, 1597, a guide to plants, uh, botanist John Gerard recommended burning the gum of the juniper, juniper tree to drive away snottiness. The fume and smoke of the gum. Doth stray phlegmatic humours that distill out of the head and stoppeth the room, he wrote. Uh, Gerard was likely inspired by ancient Chinese remedies which involved burning dried herbs and he wasn't entirely barking up the wrong tree since juniper oil is still used in some herbal medicines uh, and designed to be inhaled. And then we have number five, leeches. In ancient Greece, health was thought to be governed by four humours, blood, phlegma, a yellow bile and black bile. Too much of the other affected your personality and also your health, as in late 19th century European doctors believed the blood humour was associated with heat. So if you were running a temperature, it meant you could have too much blood. A grisly solution were leeches. In his 1809 treaty on medical leeches, French physician Louis Vittart said the benefits of the leech for men are so great that doctors should be aware of them. Leeches are sometimes used in medicine generally for healing skin grafts and all other kinds of reconstructive surgery. Because they uh, secrete an anti collusion but they don't, won't do too much in the case of the sniffles. Then uh, we have white briny. Uh, number six, natural herbal medicines are generally recognized as harmless, even though they don't actually cure the illness they're taken for. This one is pretty risky, though. William Thomas Cerny recommends taking a tincture of white briny, relieving coughs, colds, and feverish bronchial sort caught by exposure to the east wind. White briny, however, is poisonous. Uh, While it won't uh, likely kill you, its strong purgative effects can often cause a lot of discomfort. And then finally, booze. My grandfather would love a hot toddy. You know, a dash of scotch, hot water, honey, lemon. He swore by it. Probably a little bit too much scotch, though. Uh, if all else fails, it seems that doctors historically suggested downing your misery in alcohol. In William Buchanan's 1772 book Domestic Medicine, he recommends drinking until you see double. Go to bed, hang your hat on the foot of the bed, and continue to drink when you can see two hats. Uh, a night of binge drinking certainly won't bring your cold to the end, but in the Victorian era, it might have seemed like the only way to sleep through the night. I mean, I did totally discuss my daughters um, when I was gargling with uh, apple cider vinegar with the mother it has always had the mother and um, it's it, it wonders it kills all sorts of nasty germs and uh, I do like uh, the apple cider vinegar you can almost do it in anything I think I think if you rub it on your forehead and your eyelids it's, it's anti-aging as well and you smell a little vinegary but uh, you know what I want to look younger what's uh, what's the cost of smelling like vinegar so I did think about the other day and it was an episode I don't know if you ever had this before But an episode of Scooby-Doo can sometimes um, bring, you know, a a solution to all of your problems. I mean, it's an answer to uh, a question that has uh, plagued me for many years. It was a a sort of eureka or gotcha moment for me. And that eureka or gotcha moment is, for many, many years, I see myself as a top-body dancer. Uh, That's not some sort of, uh, you know, me dancing with tight levered pants on uh, but uh, topless at the front no no I'm not that's not what I mean but when I say you know a top body dancer I'm talking about I don't think my lower body moves when I dance and I and I found the perfect solution to my uh, to my situation here being a top body dancer because you know you see uh, good dancers move their hips they're very in time to the music I'm a last not. I look like some sort of consummate, constipated gorilla, um, and I can't even say that today because I'm uh, I'm, I'm fighting through this awful pesky lurgy virus that I have. Um, so there won't be any of this dancing today. But um, I, I, this dance that I'm thinking about is uh, is is basically allows me to have no body lower body movement, which is absolutely perfect. So my dance of choice from now until the end of eternity is skanking it's a form of dancing practiced in ska, ska, punk, hardcore, punk reggae and music scenes The dance originated in 1950s and 1960s Jamaican dance halls where ska music was played prominent backbeat played by the electric guitar when ska became uh, popular amongst the British and that was amongst British mods and skinheads in the 1960s The UK youth adopted these types of dance moves. The dancing style was revived in the 70s and 80s in the two-tone era and also adopted by some individuals of the hardcore punk subculture. So these are are basically the types. Originally, skanking consisted of the running man, Uh, motion of the legs to the beat while alternating bent elbow fist punches left and right. The punk version uh, features a sharp, striking outlook with the arms, which is also used in moshing. knock over others doing the same thing however this is rarely seen as a direct aggression but a consensual release of emotion so this uh, uh, rough appearance tends to lead to negative stereotypes of violence uh, which are rare amongst the uh, scar fans while the flailing swinging and pushing may seem dangerous i mean my arms are flailing but it's never dangerous i mean people may uh, may get out of the way because they don't see me as being too cool for school quite the opposite probably um, but there's almost a conscious effort by each dancer in the pit to refrain from actually striking or hurting each other. Well, what a relief that is. Additionally, should any other person trip and fall, others in the group tend to avoid trampling on them. So the style, speed, and moves used when skanking are diverse as the music it's performed to, usually dictated by its rhythm and genre. For example, the skanking done at reggae concerts would typically be slower, lower, and indeed more restrained. So that's probably my, uh, that's probably for me, I would say. An example of this is the lighter style known as the stroll. So that's what I'm into. It's Chappie the butler is into the skank stroll. You know, it could be the butler strank. The butler skank stroll is, is, is my favourite. And that's mainly popularised by American ska punk bands Table D and Kid's Table. In this style, dancers tend to stroll in a circle that sounds perfect you know you can have a cup of tea little pinky in the air as well uh, and you're in the center of the pit whilst rhythmically swaying from side to side I mean you could sort of sit around the pit and have some sandwiches with the crust cut off and then start this stroll skanking again afterwards It'd be absolutely perfect so anyway I found my perfect dance move the skank the butler skank is what I'm going to be doing in the dance halls, in the nightclubs. When I get my glow sticks out again, there'll be no lower body movement and the butler skank will be put into motion uh, whenever that is coming coming, coming forward into the future here after COVID. So uh, I'm quite excited about it. But uh, quite scartastic, I think it is. Um, but uh, if you want to look up the Scooby-Doo episode, it was uh, in, in the Scooby-Doo uh, sort of relaunch. Uh, it was Mr. Incorporated. And it was Rude Boy in the Scartastics. Rude Boy in the Scartastics, some of the greatest scar and skank out there, babies. So you saw a lovely little article in the London Times, um, guest writer James Marriott. As someone who isn't blessed with natural self-confidence, it's comforting to know it wouldn't likely bring me success. I'm intellectually lazy, superficial, boring, unfunny, charmless, uh, and I'm undecided on that one has some potential which I'm failing to live up to or have none at all. Thoughts like these often occur to me are embarrassing to admit. They're a symptom of my low self-esteem, an aspect of my character that's been pointed out since my childhood. At school I had a reputation of apologising every time I entered the room. Well, that's a self-deprecating British humour, James. Um, and as we all know... As I've been told, high self esteem is the root of human flourishing, success, and happiness. Except it's not. Self esteem is one of the most oddest, most misguided, even dangerous ideas to emerge in the 20th century. It's also one of the most durable. Uh, originally emanated in the 1970s California counterculture, self esteem has achieved the ultimate status of any idea. It's become common sense. So, searching through the Times over the recent years, you can find hundreds of people talking about their self esteem. Teachers, parents, actors, writers, since the 1990s heyday, self-esteem has been referred to thousands of times in Parliament, usually as a sort of abstract, impeachable moral code. The same can be said to Victorian politicians who talked about piety, a sign of unchallenged establishment status. Um, indeed, presumably because of the way it was pressed into my generation childhood, self-esteem is enjoying a 2nd flowering, in the guise of related concepts such as self-care, self-cherishing, self-acceptance and self-compassion. Skeptical people who think these phrases sound like nonsense unthinkingly accept the idea of self-esteem as a ring of science. But if you don't have to look too closely at self-esteem for it to seem a weird notion, esteem yourself, why? For what? I've spent a lot of time reading up on the topic, but I've never encountered the suggestion that you might achieve high self-esteem, for example, giving to charity or helping the homeless shelter. Self-esteem supposes the right to feel good about ourselves precedes the actual doing of any good. So self-esteem is informed by the quasi-theological idea that humans being beings are innately good. Modern humans believe that the same way that our ancestors um, believed that they were fundamentally sinful and fallen from grace it's not a coincidence that the father of self-esteem of california state senator uh, john falanchus was resentful former catholics who spoke bitterly of how a child has been taught never to think or speak well of myself self-esteem caught on because it appeals to our individual modern culture our na- nature and how convenient simply to esteem ourselves rather than worrying about the esteem of others after all other people were liable to judge us our actions and apply inconveniently exacting standards are we loyal are we kind are we trustworthy so i mean the high self-esteem is an unnatural response to human condition unless your aim is in life is to feel good about yourself in the face of mounting evidence to the contrary it's also an unhelpful one low self-esteem is a better predictor of success I hope that I haven't given the impression that my low self-esteem is going to turn me into some super ambitious, super successful political titan, but I shall uh, perhaps allow myself to feel good for a moment the paradoxical and only half endurable sensation of having high self-esteem about myself, low self-esteem. I mean, that's definitely an article that'll stir up a lot of—I uh, think it'll stir up a lot of debate amongst our uh, American friends, without a doubt. So it's London Times, James Merritt, High self-esteem breeds laziness and failure. I tell you, that's going to—that's uh, going to rattle around the pulpit for the next few days for the people listening. I'm sure. Okay, so Maria O'Laughlin, the Times food critic, wonderful writer. I love reading her articles on food and restaurant uh, critiques. But she wrote a lovely piece on roast duck. And this is like a summary here. So she says roast duck always feels like a celebration. Why we insist on serving pappy old turkey to mark special occasions rather than duck or several is beyond me. Can you have my beloved and divisive bread sauce with it? Why the hell not? Love bread sauce with duck. I've rarely met a roast duck I'm not happy with. I like the domestic waddlers, their breasts larded with thick layers of fat. But I'm also a fan of the wiry and more challenging game cousins, Teal, widgeon. As soon as your game season hits, you can find me at the Quality Chop House in Farringdon, Central London, where chef Sean Surley treats me to rare beasts. All the care and ceremony they deserve. Serving them with the full gamut of sparkling fruit jellies, game crisps, tiny pies of their innards, gravies boosted with fortified wines, absolute heaven. I spent a lot of time in an off-radar part of southwest France where the bird is basically a religion. It's not unusual to find set menus featuring starter and main courses, de canard, and salads often concealing several parts of ducks, crisp gizzards, hearts, and necks. It even sneaks into desserts. I've had uh, I've had uh, little pancakes piped with sweet beige cream that turns out to be thickened with the foie gras. And there's a local delicacy Doulon. Del- Del- That's a piffier type of caramelized apples with a thick layer of foie gras when we go we lug up spiced pasties sticky rice and thai hot steam in the boot of the car to make sure i can get a break from uh, the menus and not get sick of the duck never never be sick of duck on pleur de glab chef david thompson's recipe is a way of getting the best out of both worlds thai fireworks plus a break from the bloody confit gorgeous though it is especially with the creamy Tarbase beans scented with quantities of garlic herbs sitting by the river in le foie bleu in, with a Beaujolais piling on platefuls of duck with its colleagues quack away in the background is a certain delight. I mean I, I absolutely adore duck as well. Why don't we roast more duck, she says, though? What's wrong with one for midweek dinner? It's a rewarding business, getting the ratio of succulent meat to crisp skin just perfect. Duck stock to make the bones, and insanely good vegetables, potatoes, of course, and with plentiful of fat. Even more rewarding to eat. You know, I'm feeling pretty hungry now. I may have to uh, go and order myself five-spiced duck from the uh, local Chinese restaurant, which is actually decidedly good. And those little thin, thin pancakes, you break it up and put them in the pancakes delicious so my children always tease me about my uh, my honking of the nose sounding like maybe part foghorn part of a brass orchestra so it made me think you know does one can one play the sort of nose trumpet and uh, found some rather lovely things on uh, on uh, youtube and this is one of my favorites it's a fat man blowing his nose with an ambient noise in the background listen and enjoy I need more sandals, all right? No, it's not. It is. It's little, well, okay, here we out. No. Hear me out. No. Me out. no you're right, there is no situation where this is good. There is no situation where this is okay. And you're keeping it up. I don't know. there we go so there's a fat man blowing his honker right there for you a little bit of nose blowing orchestra um but you know that wasn't the last thing i found i found and also an east african got talent contest and we had the nose blowing trumpet that's all through the nose that was all through the nose people so you know if, if all else fails and I can't get, to this, get out of this cold too quickly I think I could do uh, some nose blowing and maybe the lead piece of a nose blowing orchestra no we have a lovely 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 little enigmatic English eccentric habit here and today is the tar barrel rolling in Ottery St Mary's the town of Ottery St Mary's in Devon has its own take on Guy Fawkes Night celebrations and they're pretty hazardous the term tar barrel rolling doesn't really provide an adequate explanation of what it involves and it makes it sound tamer than it is what really happens is that flaming tar barrels are carried through the streets on the shoulders of those brave enough to take part they're known as barrel rollers many of whom have passed down the honor taking part through many generations, and the residents of Ottery St. Mary are the only people in the country to think that it's a good idea. It's not known exactly where the custom started, but it's thought that are hundreds of years old and probably started around the time of the gunpowder plot. It fits in with a wider West Country tradition of torch-lit processions, and if 17 flaming barrels wasn't enough, they also have a huge bonfire, the guy for which has been in the same family since 1958. So if uh, the whole article on self-esteem breeds laziness and failure hasn't upset our American uh, cousins, this may well take the biscuit, or in this case, take the baked potato or jacket potato. Americans have found out about the jacket potatoes and they're not happy. How can you hate the humble baked potato? It turns out that our beloved jacket potato has caused upset with our friends across the pond. My hosts here in the U.S., <laughs> Baked beans, butter, curry, chili, tuna mayo, and options are endless when you put on your potato. Whichever topping you choose, it seems folks in the US are horrified. Chrissy Teigen stated that she discovered a tweet and she had just discovered them. Her fans and followers soon joined in, with some people calling us the Brits psychopaths for enjoying them. Some Brits stepped up to the rescue with one saying, Calm down, everybody. It's just loaded potato skins, but way tastier. Others pointed out the examples above need lots more cheese. The haters were happy about it, though. I'd rather choke, said one yank. I'd like to hear less, said another, as someone else chimed in. Everybody's saying they're delicious, but I'm convinced they're lying, not falling for it. It's not just Americans hating it. Chrissy, we adore you, but that's disgusting. Love absolutely everybody else and everybody in Australia, but this English habit is awful. It turns out that some people were offended because they thought baked beans and tuna mayo went on the same potato. But still, seems a bit harsh. I mean, who's hungry now for a lovely baked potato? I mean, my favourite, scooping them out twice baked, baked beans, cheese, bacon. I tell you, that's that's a meal fit for a king, queen, emperor, whatever you want to say. Buttery, cheesy, and beanie. Mmm. Okay, so we have Trample Trombone. A classic video game Doom could run on a billion or 16 billion crabs, say researchers. Hobbyists have tinkered with the 19th three game for years, recoding it to run everything from a camera to a vape pen, but the ultimate challenge has now been devised. Doom on 16 million crustaceans. Doom may not technically be the first video game in the first-person uh, shooter genre, but it was certainly the first huge breakout hit it's the lineage that gave us Halo and Call of Duty. The game's enduring legacy and its comparative simplicity has been adapted over the years in all sorts of weird and wonderful hardware. But the strangest idea for a Doom reworking has been raised by, in a thread from a lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Um, he says he did some uh, maths at the logic gates and the underlying mathematical principle about computing engines, and he successfully built logic, logic gates by using swarms of soldier crabs, he reasoned that technically it would take 640,000 crabs to store a single tweet, while Ethan also calculated the potential hum- computing power of various other organisms. For similar uh, example slime molds, it was his crab idea that really, really exploded. Uh, dozens of people chipped in to help Ethan work out how many crabs it would require to do various everyday tasks, and it would take 64 million crabs to uh, run the video game Doom. I mean, maybe Red Lobster, the restaurant chain, could use its bilge to fuel the game. I mean, you'd uh, just take out some of the trash cans and you could probably power a nuclear power station and the Doom game as well with all the remnants from Red Lobster. And a woman trapped on a life-sized T-Rex statue at Dinosaur Park was rescued by firefighters. A woman who climbed on top of a T-Rex statue at Grand Girl Dinosaur Park, Washington, had to be helped down by authorities after she became too afraid to climb down from the huge Jurassic creature. I mean, when Jurassic World runs out of plot lines, let's face it, I mean, things are getting a little bit flimsy. woman stuck on a huge Jurassic uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex would be a perfect new movie script. And rat steals pet GPS or pet cat's GPS tracker and leads owner on a hilarious wild goose chase. So a cat owner who bought a GPS tracking collar to help him keep tabs on his cat ended up being led on a wild uh, wild rat chase around uh, East London. But the tracking signal wasn't coming from Andy Kindle's uh, cat Alex, but from a mischievous rat that had stole the £130 device after a fight. I mean, in this case, uh, you know, you could say this was. A literal rat race and a woman shares hack to stop avocados going brown once you've cut them in half a woman has shared a simple tip to help cut down on food waste by keeping avocados fresh for longer the fruit is notoriously hard to judge when it's ripe and ready to eat but once you build up a sixth sense through the years of experience you're rewarded with perfect avocado toast However, if you need to only use half the avocado and decide to save the rest for tomorrow, you'll often find it's turned uh, brown in the fridge overnight. I mean, her her key though, and it, she mentions about preventing your avocados from browning, it was viewed by 1.4 million. Taking half the avocado she wants to preserve, she drizzles a small amount of olive oil and rubs it over the surf, surface of the avocado with her fingertip, and it prevents oxidisation apparently. I, mean, I wonder if wooden, uh, you know, rubbing a greasy Barnet haircut on the avocados would work in the same way. You know, look greasy locks on the old avocado, would it stop the oxidization? <laughs> and woman gobsmacked as boyfriend sends a spreadsheet of costs from Romantic Getaway. I mean, I guess you could see it as uh, love inventory, I suppose. They always say you can't put a price on love. And I keep massive leeches as pets and let them suck on my blood. An anonymous leech keeper bought his four buffalo leeches for $300 each and feeds them by putting them on his arm and letting them go to town feeding on his own blood. I mean, you could say the leeches are blood brothers and sucking sisters. Hopefully there is a fine vintage of blood and no bad blood between them. And a Reddit user finds mysterious naked Bigfoot on Google Maps running near a line of trees. The user came across a baffling scene after checking out a house they were considered buying. Uh, One Redditor joked it looked more like a big butt more than Bigfoot. Apparently he was on a plant-based diet and had eaten all his fig leaves that covered his uh, Bigfoot bollocks. And Time Traveller claims to have gone six years into the future where humans are extinct. Talk user Javier claims he has travelled to the year 2027 where humanity has become extinct. He shows as follows a new reality where the world is void of human activity. I mean, in an alternative universe, we may have been replaced by Trump bots. All of the females looking like Lara and Ivanka. And then you have uh, look, you know male lookalikes like Kushner and Don Jr. 3000 models. In this case, artificial intelligence has been replaced with no intelligence, silicon enhancement and hair plugs. And a ghost hunter records eerie voice saying leave here in a pub haunted by a pervy spirit. Will Hammond recorded a spooky encounter at the Belper Arms where a pervy spirit called 5-4 to four Fred is said to pinch the bums of female punters. I mean, a pervy ghoul must love a good cocktail, perhaps sex on the beach. Or the uh, one that sounds like blow knob. Uh, Pervy ghosts uh, must only like one night stands with a lot of ghosting the next day. And eagle eyed Google Maps user spots man appearing to do a poo in a field. A Google Maps user uploaded the odd scene from uh, Rudenthal in the Netherlands to Reddit. One person joked, If it isn't something to be proud of, I don't know what it is, as he squats over this chap on the Google Map video. I mean, there seems to be a severe lack of any type of shame here. Alexis showing us a drone dump. Uh, the great thing is, Amazon Prime can deliver toilet paper to that field within a 15 minute window. Oh, hello there, it's Percy Grower here, in the allotment. From puckered lips to a penis pepper, these are the world's rudest plants. From the so-called hooker's lips flower to the most unbelievable naked man orchid, gardening experts identified the world's cheekiest blooms. Now that spring's finally here, Green Fingers Brits are getting out in the gardens and getting in touch with nature again. But you don't need to be a dedicated horticulturalist to find joy in plants and flowers. So here's the first one here. It's Phallus impunductus. The name says it all. The unmistakably penile plant is a common stinkhorn because of its foul odor. And then we get the lipstick plant. This shrub is native to the rainforests in Central and South America. It looks like it's puckering up for a big old snog. And then Rhodochiton. Rhodoscheitin is obviously less rude than the other is on the list but the gardening experts said the plant's pendulous tubes are often somewhat penile in nature. And then we have the Amorphallus Titanium. Anybody fluent in Latin will quickly see the Amorphallus Titanium translates to gigantic misshapen phallus. Naked men orchid is hardly believable this popular Mediterranean plant Is not the work of some playful Photoshop artist, but absolutely real. The way the flower also is an Italian orchid mimics a naked man's body. Face, air, and also intimate areas are uncanny. Peter's pepper. This distinctively phallic chili pepper not only looks a bit spicy, it's one of the world's oldest peppers. And kigalia. Kigalia is a species of tree found in Eastern Europe, and let's say it bears sausage-shaped fruit. Let's hope it's a big old Cumberland sausage. Happy weekend to you. Toodaloo. See you later, my bootfuls. Well, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Well, thanks, Percy, as well. Getting a little bit naughty there with phallic plants and all. So, I, this is a real struggle today. I mean, I was literally licking on a honey stick the entire time. Just to get through this. So, I apologise if my voice... Is a little bit hoarse. I sound like a little bit like a Grand National winner today. Um, But uh, it'd be lovely to have you here. Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese 73. Uh, At Keep Cheese on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. uh, At Keep Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Across Apple, Spotify, all the different platforms. So you can tune in and enjoy. Lovely little one with my uh, daughters the other day. uh, Episode 72 if you want to check that one out. Uh, basically I was castigated and uh, beaten into a pulp in 40 minutes of the podcast. So uh, they certainly enjoyed that. Um, and uh, you know, it was lovely to have their uh, cheeky presence uh, for the uh, for the podcast uh, on Friday. So there we go, people. Uh, we're going to finish with a nice little springtime poem. And I will see you all again very, very soon. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. This is Spring by Christina Rossetti. Frost locked all the winter, seeds and roots and stones of fruit, what shall make their sap ascend, that they make forth shoots, tips of tender green leaf or blade or sheath, telling of the hidden life that breaks forth underneath, life nursed in its grave by death. Blows the thaw wind pleasantly, drips the soaking rain by fits, looking down the walking, walking sun. Young grass springs on the plain, Young leaves cloth every treasurer trees, Seeds and roots and stones of fruit, Swollen with swap, put forth their shoots, Curled-headed ferns sprout in the lane, Birds sing and pair again. There's no time like spring, When life's alive in everything, Before new nestings sing, Before cleft swallows speed their journey back, Along the trackless track. God guides their wings, He spreads their table that they nothing lack. Before the gro- daisy grows a common flower. Before the sun has power to scorch the world of his noontime hour. There's no time like spring, like spring that passes by. There's no life like spring, life born to die. Piercing the sod, cloving the uncouth clod. Hatched in the nest, fledged on the windy bough. Strong as the wing, there's no time like spring that passes by. Now newly born and now hastening to die. Again, I'd better go and lubricate one's throat. Uh, it's chappy out Uh, have a lovely week cheerio and i'll talk to you all again very soon